Let's all now turn to the book of James, chapter 2, verse 13. And after you turn to the book of James, chapter 2, verse 13, if you could please stand to honor the reading of God's word, it would be appreciated. And it does say, in James 2.13, For he who has shown no mercy will have judgment without mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm going to read that again before we see, before we are seated. James 2.13, For he who has shown no mercy will have judgment without mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. You may be seated. For pity's sake, well, for pity's sake, I say this expression a lot. Well, for pity's sake, I say that a lot. I, I, uh, I say it because it keeps me from saying anything else. And so I always say, well, for pity's sake. It's something I've said for a long time. And uh, you probably ask the people that know me well, anytime I get frustrated uh, or I see something that's irksome, I'll say, oh, for pity's sake. It's something that's said a lot. For pity's sake, and I say this a lot, and I, uh, it means to have pity or mercy. Have pity or mercy on someone or something, usually someone, and usually. Uh, but to be pitied is for something that's pitiful, usually, or sad. You ever seen something that's pitiful? Maybe a little animal trying to do something, and you, somebody comes over and knocks a little nest over or whatever it is, and they go, oh, that's pitiful. Or you see, a, have a little kid that's trying to get a mom and dad's attention, and usually it's putting on a show, I'm talking about the little kid, putting on a show, I know I've been that kid, trying to put on a show to make a mom and dad feel bad, and they're all how pitiful that is. But you know, you feel bad for them, they're kind of cute, kind of sad. It's a little bit pitiful, it's weak, it's sorrowed, you know, it's got a little sorrowful, it's pity. It's a little pitiful. You know, you've all seen the little pitiful being. How about those commercials they put on TV? When you see those little children out there who are starving, that is pitiful. And not pitiful in a, in a funny way. That's, that's sad. That's very sad. We have pity for those babies who can't eat across the world. Uh, what they usually don't say is because of stupid beliefs that the cow is a great-great-great-grandma. That does happen in certain parts of the world. But the fact of the matter is, is we pity those little babies because we love those babies. We don't want them to starve. We love those babies and we want to help them. We want to help them and give them the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help those babies. We feel bad for babies who are starving, who are sick and hurt. And for all people, not just babies. But we want to help those people. We want to help those people. We feel bad for someone who's given the, the disbelief and the untruth for people who are taught that they can earn their way to heaven by wishing upon a star. We want to help those people. We're, we pity those people. So the title of today's sermon is For Pity's Sake. And that's not just to be said in the, the manner in which I spoke earlier, when we look upon something and, and you know, are feeling bad for something or irritated. No, that's not the truth. There's lots of ways of, of having pity's sake on someone. And we're going to talk about that today. But see, God knows us. He sees us and he knows our weaknesses. And he has pity for us. Now, if you look at certain parts of the Bible, you wouldn't almost believe that. Because there's certain parts of the Bible, I'm talking mostly Deuteronomy and, and the Old Testament, where it talks about God not having pity, and you think God doesn't have pity on anyone. That's not true. 
it, when God talks about these things of him not having pity, or they're talking about God not having pity, it's talking about certain types of people, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to get into that. But know that God sees us, he knows us, and he knows our weaknesses. And it says in Psalm 86, verse 5, and you can write that down if you want. It says, for you, talk about the Lord, it says, for you, Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in kindness to all who call on you. When we call on God, he's forgiving to us. He knows us. He has pity on us. He has mercy. You can even feel, for the kind of pity I'm talking about now, you can even fill that in with the word mercy. Because it's the same thing. Well, there are different kinds of pity in this world. But God has that type of pity, that type of mercy on us. He has that. But in that case, God even allows hardships. He allows pity the world, excuse me, he allows hardships to happen on this world, a world of pity, sorrow, and sin. He allows these things to happen on us. Well, why is that? Well, first of all, we know that we're living in a world of sin. We know that. But why? Why? Well, first of all, we, we're not going to go through it all because we already know. We've talked about it not even that long ago. We know what happened with Adam and Eve. We know what happened whenever sin came into the world. Sin entered the world. And because sin entered the world, we know that sin is allowed in this world. God allowed free will. So we know sin is in the world. And because the world is not perfect, we know the world is not perfect. And so sin and pity is in this world. There's pitiful things that happen. But that's not how it was made. God made it perfect. And we know that Satan brought sin in. And therefore, man, what did he do? He made a mess. And so the world is pitiful. But it wasn't God's doing. It was our doing. Mankind's doing. It brought pity into the world. Pitiful stuff. Pitiful things. Let's see what it says in the Bible. Ezekiel 9.10 But as for me, me being the Lord, as for me, my eyes shall not spare, nor will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon their heads. Now what does that mean? Didn't it just say that God has pity, God has mercy? Yes, but what does he mean when he says that? He means for those who will not serve him, for those who will not follow him, he does not have pity for those who will not be on his side, for those who will not follow him, will not worship him. He's talking about for those who decided not to follow God. So when you see, and people a lot of times say, how can God let bad things happen to these children? Well, I've had people say that before. First of all, God is not mad at those babies. God is not mad at those children. How can God allow bad things to happen in this world? This stuff is going to happen because the world, as you know, has fallen short of the glory of God. But this is not because God is mad at those children. It's just the way the world is because it's fallen short of God. But for the people who have fallen short and will not follow God, talking about people who decided to live in sin, they will have bad things happen they will not follow God and so therefore they will have all the hardships come upon them by their own choices we're not talking about the kids who've been born in hardships we're talking about those who know of the Lord God and said I'm not going to follow him I'm going to follow my way well we know the hardships are going to fall on them they will have pitiful things happen upon them because of their own choices as we've said a hundred times over Satan tempts God tests we're going to get into that as it says in Ezekiel, because Ezekiel is a good place to find all this, Ezekiel 36, verse 21, it says this, talking about the Lord here, but I had pity for my holy name. 
I have pity for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Now, I want you to remember this. There's people all over the place who are supposed to, talk about even Christians, who are supposed to hold God's holy name up. That's what Israel's supposed to do. And what did they do at one time? They defamed his name. They hurt his name. God had pity for his own name because people destroyed it by not living for the Lord. And so hardships do come upon do come upon people. Pitiful things happen. So I'm now going to look to a certain book, a book of Job. So turn with me now to the book of Job. We're going to look at chapter 1 and chapter 2 together. And I want to look at this for a specific reason. Are you going through hardships today? Are you going through difficult times and you don't know why? Are you going through trials that you just can't explain? Do you feel pitiful? Maybe you are. In your own mind, in your own heart, maybe you feel pitiful. I know sometimes I look at myself and I'm feeling physically sick. And uh, I mean, this week in particular, there's times I felt so ill so weak I didn't have much in me I'm talking about strength and I would look in the mirror and I'd actually start laughing at myself and I said boy you look pitiful you look so pitiful and maybe you felt the same way at times uh, looking at me no I'm kidding maybe you felt that way looking at yourself you, you've woken up and you just feel after you wake up you feel so weak you feel so weird you don't feel pretty or however the words you you know that song, I Feel Pretty? Maybe you feel the exact opposite of that. And you feel, I feel pity, oh, such pity. But you, you feel that when you look at yourself, such pity when you look at yourself. Pitiful. Weak, like a drowned rat. <laughs> you feel this gross. And you feel that way. But I'm going to tell you, no matter what you're going through, God has love for you. No matter the pitiful things you're going through, and you're thinking, oh, for pity's sake, why am I going through this? Why am I going through such tough moments? Know this, we don't know why. We don't know why we're going through it. God does, and we may never know why, but God is with us even through those moments. You're never alone. You know, we've quoted a hundred times, and we're going to continue to quote it. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. No matter what you're going through, no matter what physical trials, mental trials, emotional trials, no matter what the people in your life do for you, God is with you. He always will be. Keep your eyes on him. No matter what. No matter what the people on television tell you. No matter what the people, even your Christian friends. Just keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about making up your own stories and, and say, oh, I have to be doing right because I say it. No, no. You know what one of the words I hate, or I should say phrases. You know one of the phrases I hate? And they say, uh, you do you. I hate that phrase. That's dumb. You know, the thing is, is they, they say you do you. It used to be uh, be yourself. It used to be the phrase they say, be yourself. Here's the thing. We shouldn't just be ourselves. We should be as God wants us to be. Follow the word of God. Because being yourself only works if you're following God's will. Be yourself. That doesn't work if yourself that you're being goes against everything God says. So let's look at Job. Let's look at Job because there's a lot of things to be said about Job, and we will. We'll go into this. Let's see what Job says. 
from Job 1. It says, There was a man in the land of Uz. And no, we're not talking about Oz. I say that often because I had kids used to get that confused. Oh, I know Oz. No, not Dorothy's place. Okay, land of Uz, whose name was Job. Now, first of all, know this. This time probably took place during the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, this probably, if we were to place it chronologically, it'd be somewhere in the time of Genesis. But it doesn't in the sense that it's not placed there uh, in your Bible. But let's look at here. So there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. That man was blameless. That doesn't mean sinless, but it means blameless. He did so, so good and upright, fearing God and avoiding evil. He was really good. He did good. He had seven sons, three daughters were born to him. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. In other words, he was rich. He was rich. We're talking Elon Musk rich, okay? We're talking Donald Trump rich. He was a good, good man. By the way, I'm not saying those were the, are the greatest men on earth. I'm saying they're good fellows for what they do, but this guy's a lot, lot better for what he does. He, does, he doesn't sin. He does good, follows God. doesn't mean he's perfect, but for, as far as what day was on the earth, he was a good, good man. Okay. Now, this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Verse 4, his sons used to go and make a feast in the house of each on this day, and they would send and call for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Now, we don't know exactly what they did, but we can assume they may have done stuff they shouldn't have done and we, 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 with their sisters. At the time, we know that it was okay in the sense of doing things with your sisters in the sense that God said it wasn't wrong just yet as far as that goes. But we know this. We know that they may have done things they shouldn't have done. How do we know that? From what it says here in a moment. Now, when the days of the feasting had run their course, Job sent a, and sanctified them. He would rise up early in the morning, and he would offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Because Job said, I like this as a daddy who loves his kids. Listen to what he says now. Because you already know if you're a folk, if you're, if you're a father or mother. You can't control what your kids do. You can raise them upright, but it doesn't mean that you don't have a little remote control to control what your kids do. You know that. My mom knows that. She can't control what I, what I uh, decide to do. She's probably wanting to say amen right now. Right, Mom? Amen. <laughs> but but she can pray that I do the right thing. Now listen what daddy does here. This is what daddy does. He would pray unto the Lord and say, It may be that my sons have sinned and curse God in their hearts. You see that? He doesn't know exactly what they did, but he has a feeling. Now he knows his boys and he knows his girls. He says they may have done wrong. Now we don't know exactly what that means, but, but I, I have an assumption. Thus Job would do this always. So they weren't perfect, but listen what listen what he, they do here. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. What does that mean, sons of God? In this case, it doesn't always mean this. The sons of God usually means people who live in harmony with God, usually what that means. In this case, it means, most likely, it means angels, in this case. Not, that doesn't always mean that, just so you know. doesn't mean that always in Genesis. doesn't always mean that. It does, however, in this case, mean this. It means uh, angels, probably, probably. Because it says that there are, uh, we'll say, sons of God come before the Lord, and the adversary, that's the devil, and the adversary also came among them, and the Lord said to the adversary, From where have you come? 
And the adversary answered the Lord, saying, From roaming on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to the adversary, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and avoids evil? Boy, don't you know that we should all be like that, upright, avoiding evil? Isn't that great that he loves the Lord that much? But listen, listen what the adversary, the devil, does. And don't you know the adversary knows you? Not like God does, but he watches. He doesn't know your mind. But he sees what you do. Listen what the listen what he says. The adversary says. He answered the Lord, saying, Has Job feared God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. He's saying, you take away all the blessings, he's going to curse you. You know, how many people do do this? All the things are great, and people say, thank the Lord I have all these things. And the moment things go bad, oh, why has God done this to me? Well, we see it happen all the time. When the weather, hey, look, I've, I've been guilty of this. I don't mean doing that. But I mean, when the weather is good, oh, God's blessing me. Everything's nice. The moment the rain comes, Lord, I don't understand. Look, I think we we, we, we do this, okay? I, I've been in that position. And where, where, oh, I feel so good the moment I get hit with a headache. Oh, Lord, why on earth am I hurting so bad? It, we all have been in this position. At least, I don't know if we all have. Let's just say this one has. Not that I'm mad at God, but I have to yell, Lord God, please help me through this moment. And by that, that's the beautiful thing. God's not away from us, and we shouldn't walk away from him at that moment. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll go back down here. Okay, so the Lord said to the adversary, Look, all that he has is in your power. Only do not stretch out your hand against this, excuse me, against his person, against his body, against him. He says, you can take these things, but you can't touch him. You can't touch him. And I know what you might be thinking. Oh, man, that's pretty bad. And it is. It is. We know what happens. We know what happens next. We've heard this before. We've heard it before. So the day came when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabians attacked them and took away and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And only I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, Another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and, uh, and consumed them all. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three companies and made a raid upon the camels and taken them away. They killed the servants with the edge of a sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in your eldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Can you imagine? I imagine you can. Maybe not these things, but I have been in a position before, just like I'm sure you have, where it seems like everything is hitting you at once. Oh, Philip! 
Oh, Philip, you're being hit with this. You're being hit with that. Philip, your health is hurting you. Philip, your finances are hurting you. Philip, your knees are bad. Philip, you're losing this. You're losing your home. You're losing this. You're losing that. Oh, how can you possibly stand another moment? Oh, here's another one. Another one bites the dust. But you know what? It's okay because guess what? Even when that's that happening, God is still with you. Even when you think all is going against you, God isn't. And Satan says, ha, 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 ha. where's your God now? He's still with me. He's never left me. He's still with me. You can't stop me now, and you're not going to. Because greater is he who's with you than he who's of the world. Hallelujah. First John 4, 4. Listen what Job does. Job stood up, tore his robe. That was a sign of obedience, by the way, and worship. He tore his robe, shaved his head. That's not why I shaved my head. But I do something. Shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked will I return there. And the Lord gave, and I love this verse, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and all this Job did not sin, and he did not accuse God of wrongdoing. And by the way, we need to remember that. And that's hard sometimes. When wrong happens to us, we need not to point to God and say, God, why did you do this? And I don't know about you, but there's times that I, I have questioned God. Not, God, why have you done this? But, God, why have you allowed this to happen? And it's not wrong to wonder why. It's not wrong to question why, which Job does do. Why? He asks why. There's nothing wrong with asking why. There's nothing wrong with crying. Not wrong to cry, not wrong to ask why. The question a lot of times people ask is, why they cry? And then sometimes they get mad and they say, forget it, I'm done. Well, we can't give up on God. He sure isn't giving up on us. But sometimes we, we look at the wrong person and say, who? Making us think that God is doing it. When God is allowing it, doesn't mean he's doing it. But we have the wrong viewpoint of this. So again, this is chapter 2 now, again there was a day when the sons of God, being angels most likely, came to present themselves to the Lord, and the adversary came also among them to present themselves before the Lord. And the Lord said to the adversary, From where do you come? And the adversary answered the Lord, saying, From roaming on the earth, and from walking up and down on it, I have no idea how much longer this was. You know, it could have been a little while longer, probably not too much longer. He said, "Have you?" The Lord said to the adversary, "Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and avoids evil? He still holds fast his integrity." Now you think about this. Don't you see what's going on? That some people might say, "But why is God doing this to him again?" No, 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 no. He's bragging on him. He's bragging on his boy. He's bragging on his child. Don't you see? God brags on you, children. Have you? If you're a parent, you like to brag on your baby. And I don't care how old you are, you're still the baby, the mom and daddy. Don't you know you like to brag on your kids? God's bragging on his baby. He's bragging on his kid. He's bragging on him. He says, don't you see? He says, 
he says he still holds fast to his integrity and, and, and this is my own wording you dope you he says Satan you dope you he says he's still holding fast to his integrity he says although you moved me against him to destroy him without cause in other words you allowed I allowed you to do this I allowed you to do this he's still holding to his integrity and and the and the devil says the adversary the devil says answered the Lord saying skin for skin skin for skin yes all that a man has he will give for his life put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face in other words you let me hurt him physically and oh he'll be done with you God oh he'll be done with you <laughs> so the Lord said to the adversary very well he is in your hand but spare his life so here's what happened therefore the adversary went out from the presence of the Lord and he afflicted Job with severe sores from the sole of his foot to the top of his head so he took a piece of broken pottery now you think about this he took a piece of broken pottery he would rub where the, the sores were now we're talking about boils I don't know if anyone's ever had a boil oh I'm going to tell you something. Boils are sore. I can't stand a boil. I had it when I was a little kid. And then I had to eat something that I hated. Raisins. I hated raisins. Oh, I hated Now, I like the, the California raisins, okay? And I'm talking about the characters. But I, I hated raisins and prunes. Oh, yuck. So I would eat those things because it was good for me, but I didn't care much for the texture. It wasn't the flavor, and it was the texture. Oh, can't be. But I would eat them, and uh, when I would eat them, uh, but I remember the boils that hurt and oh man I could imagine him having to take a piece of pottery you know what pottery is had to take a piece of that he'd rub it down rub that sore down oh boy that's painful just the thought thereof but he would do it he'd rub it down it says and then listen to this he would also set in the ashes now that sounds somewhat painful and not too much fun but he would do that and he would pray unto the Lord and then his wife oh his wife would come to him. Now, your wife would be your better half. Your wife would be the one to help you out. And what does his wife say to him whenever she, he's sitting there in so much pain, lost the children? I understand she's in pain, too. It's ridiculous. But here he is in so much pain, losing everything. His wife comes to him and says, Are you still maintaining your integrity? She says, Curse God and die. Thank you, honey. Appreciate it. Thanks for picking me up when I'm down. Now, it doesn't say that in the Bible. You're not going to find those words. But as a man who's once married, I can imagine these are the thoughts that are going through his head. Uh, but he said to her, You talk like one of the foolish women talks. Will we indeed accept the good from God, but not accept the adversary? Excuse me, the adversity? In other words, the good comes with the bad. And folks, it's true. Good comes with the bad. We have to accept it. We have to accept it. And all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. And after this, three friends of his came. These three friends came of Job. They heard all of the evil that had come upon him. And each one came from his own place. There was Eliphaz. There was Bildad. There was Zophar. They had get, agreed to come together and to mourn with him and comfort him. They saw him from the distance, and they did not recognize him. That means to tell you all the stress he had. So here's what they did. They wept aloud. They tore their robe. They tossed the dust in the air above their heads. 
they sat down with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights. Meanwhile, no one spoke to him at all because they saw that the pain that he was in was severe. Now you think about that. They didn't speak for a whole week. But that's how much they loved him. And they sat there. These are good friends. They came all this way. As the beginning of chapter 3 starts, we see that Job opened his mouth and cursed the day that he was born. He said, let, all, let the day perish in which I was born, and the night in which it was said a male child was conceived. He was in such sorrow, he wished he had never been born. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, that you wish you had not even been born, but this is how he felt. And his three friends, though it was good of them to come, and it was too, and they were good friends. Some people say they weren't good friends. Yes, they were. They were good friends. However, they didn't understand what he had been through. This is how people are sometimes. They're good people. They care about you. They care about what you've been through. They really do, but they cannot sympathize because they do not feel what you feel. They mean to, they want to, they hope to, they wish they could, but they cannot because they do not understand. They're not the position they're in. Some people are just that way. doesn't mean they're not good people. doesn't mean they're not good Christians. It just means that they cannot put on the robe that you wear, and I'm talking metaphorically. They cannot do so. They cannot put that on. We, the people, sometimes have pitiful ways on our own. It says in Ezekiel 7:4, My eye shall not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will recompense your ways upon you, and your ambitions shall be in your midst, and you shall know that I am your Lord. We all have pitiful ways. Every single one of us has certain pitiful ways. And the thing is, is, we are to be like the Lord God. We Christians are to be like the Lord God in the sense that we, uh, God has pity on the pitiful. God has pity on the pitiful. He has that. In other words, he has mercy on those who are pitiful. He has pity on us. Why he came in the first place is to show pity on us. He sympathized. He could relate with us. He put on skin for our sin. That doesn't mean he actually sinned, but he put on skin so that he could uh, sympathize and understand us. You know, God was so perfect and so wonderful. He couldn't just say, I understand. Now, God knew what we were going through, but he had to feel it. He had to know what we went through, all, all the, the temptations, all the things. God had to know what we went through, and so he did. When he came here and felt the things that we went through, he didn't want to be like these friends of Job's and say, I understand, I'm here for you, but then misunderstand. Job's friends, they meant well. They meant well, but they misunderstood everything about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they were reading things which, which said uh, that God uh, did not have pity. But he didn't have pity on those who were not putting God first. And so, therefore, they misunderstood the whole point. God does pity the pitiful. He has mercy on us. This is why he came, to show mercy for us. In fact, I'm going to read to you Luke 15:20. And Luke 15:20 is one of my favorite uh, parables that Christ spoke. He spoke about the prodigal son. And listen to this example he gives. It says, so he arose and came to his father. And that's you, by the way, you, the pitiful. By the way, when I say you, the pitiful, I mean us, the pitiful. We, the pitiful. We all have come to that moment where we got up and arose 
and went to the Father. Talking about the Father God. You remember that moment when you realized you were in the sin? And I'm talking about we were with the pigs. We were living with the pigs. We were in the muck with the pigs. And we got up. We realized how pitiful we were. And we could not get out of the pitiful muck. And for pity's sake, God looked upon us and said, Come, my child. Come. I have put on the skin of the pitiful for you. That's what he said. Why did he do it? For pity's sake. It was for pity's sake that he lived on this earth. It was for pity's sake that he lived. It was for pity's sake that he died. It was for pity's sake that he called to you when you realized how pitiful you were. It was for pity's sake. So he rose and came to his father. But while he was yet far away, his father saw him and was moved with compassion and ran and embraced his neck and kissed him. That day when you realized how pitiful you were, it was for pity's sake that he ran to you and called you in to the flock, embraced you, and saved you of your sin. You're no longer pitiful. You're no longer pitiful. You are pitiful no more because you have been saved by he who pitied you. He had mercy on you. Praise the Lord God. It was for pity's sake that he got up on that for pity's sake. God turns the pitiful to powerful. Not because of our own doings, but because of his own. He turns the pitiful to powerful. Are you powerful today? And it's, again, not our power, but the power of God. You don't have to be pitiful anymore. When you look in the mirror tomorrow, or maybe today, you may see the pitiful flesh but remember, inside there is the powerful, powerful spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Holy Spirit that lives within you. No longer look and see the pitiful, for pity's sake, see power of Jesus Christ living within you. Don't let the devil fool you and say you're nothing but pitiful, because you're not. There's the power of Jesus Christ living within you. It took care of all that pitifulness of you. You're no longer in there alone. Powerful, powerful, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what it says in Psalm 103.13, Like a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord gives compassion to those who fear him, and we fear him. No, we're not afraid of him. We show compassion to the Lord in the sense that we have we have respect to the, God, to the Lord God, and so he has compassion for us, and he has saved us. John 14.15, If you love me, keep my commandments. We keep our, his commandments, because we know we are saved by grace. And that's why we keep the commandments. We don't live in darkness. We don't just do what we want to do. We do what he wants us to do. Hallelujah. Luke 17, 13. They lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And he did. Hallelujah. We believers follow. We follow the Lord. And we look at our fellow Christians. You know, there's times that we... We're back here a lot of times on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and other times, and we hear of our fellow Christians needing help. We try to lift them up and help them. We help the fellow pitiful, those who have problems, 
we have pity not we're, we're not going to be petty and think about things they may have done in their lives that, that have kept them down no we're not going to do that we're not going to be petty we're going to have pity upon them we're going to have mercy upon them not pick on the weak but do as Christ did try to help lift them up using the power of Christ not our power but pray for them and lift them up like God has done for us helped us in those moments when you see someone down this is why it's so great to gather together not just watch us here on the, the camera but try to lift each other up when they need it that's what God has called us to do for pity's sake lift up your brother and sister who needs it be there for them give them a call go see them help pick them up when they're down you hear that someone lost a loved one go see them I love when I see the ladies here at the church or the, the fellow ladies cooking something for someone I love when I hear that someone has called up another and, and helped them out in that moment of need. I love that when they feel that no one is there for them, they feel like they are pitiful, and someone called them to say, hey, I have mercy for you. Hey, I love you. I'm there for you. Those times I feel so down, I can't get back up anymore, and someone called me and said, hey, I love you, Pastor. I was thinking of you. I'm sorry you're going through struggles on hard times. That is what the mercy of the Lord God does. The Holy Spirit says, hey, have you given someone a call today? You remember those old commercials, the Hallmark commercials? Okay, I know. I know they're trying to sell you a Hallmark card. I know that. That's what's so great about those commercial people. They know how to sell their product. They know how to do that. But guess what? They were also right. There's, there's just something about that Hallmark card. And it's not just the crown on the back. But folks, there's something about the Hallmark of the crown of Jesus Christ. There's something about that Holy Spirit that tells you, Give so-and-so a call. Go see them. Show them that you care. I happen to love that the ladies' night out gives people gifts back here. I see it all the time. People are giving things to people, and it's not about the product. It's about that somebody was thinking of someone else, and they wanted to say, hey, I love you. Hey, I'm there for you. That's what it's all about. Now let them know, for pity's sake, let them know that you have mercy on them, that the Holy Spirit is reaching out to them to lift them up. You're going to be there like Job's friends were for them, except for one difference, one big difference. You're not thinking down on them for going through hard times. You're going to lift them up, not tear them down. You're not going to tear them down in those moments. You're going to lift up their spirits because you have the Holy Spirit to do so. Amen? Amen. So I dare say to you today, as it said in Job 19.21, Have pity on me, have pity upon me. O oh, you, my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Well, we feel that way. We need to have pity, have mercy. Be there for one another. Matthew 5.7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Matthew 6.14, For if you forgive men of their sins, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. We need to show mercy. In other words, pity. Show love and compassion for all those who need it. Now, I don't know what you're going through today. Maybe you're going through a time where people are really putting a lot on you, and you're going through trials. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's mental. Maybe it's physical. Maybe sometimes you just feel like you can't go on another moment. But whatever moment is making you feel pitiful making you feel like you have nothing left in this world just remember you are not alone 
Christ is with you and your brothers and sisters in Christ are with you. You can continue to go on. Don't give up. One of the reasons why I love the book of Job, and it's not the only one, but I love the book of Job is because it lets you see that if God can use Job, and by the way, the end of Job, and you know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, by the end of Job, he gets everything back. Okay, not the same kids, but I hate to use the phrase better kids, but kids that follow God. He gets more animals, more things. He gets blessed more so because he was obedient. And God tells the friends, you meant well, but you were ignorant. You meant well, but what you said was stupid. Okay, I'm paraphrasing. But the point is, he goes, you were incorrect. You, you, your, uh, your assessment was incorrect. I know you meant well, but you didn't say it correctly. The only thing that Job did wrong was doubt. And the questioning of why and where. And Did he ever get a, the answer to why? No. We don't always get the answer of why. Why, God, why? And you know all we need to know is not the why, but the who. Who is still with us? Not why, but I'm going to give the answer of why. Are you saying you know more than God? No. Didn't say God didn't know. I said that you don't always know. But I'm going to give the answer of why a lot of times. I'm not saying this is always the reason. Sometimes the stuff we do. Sometimes it's not. But here's the main why whenever God doesn't give us the answer. Sometimes we already know. It strengthens us. We get strengthened. We get strengthened. I'm not talking about when you do something wrong. But I'm talking about when there is no answer. When you haven't done something wrong. That's a lot of times we haven't. In this case, Job didn't do anything wrong. But he was strengthened. He was strengthened. He was strengthened in all these difficulties. He was strengthened. And by the way, you are strengthened by what Job went through. When you're going through your difficulties, you are strengthened by the, the, the uh, situation Job went through. You can see an example when you're going through your difficulties. And we'll all go through difficulties. I know we all want to have a happy, happy, joy, joy life with no difficulties whatsoever, but that's not going to happen. We're going to go through our difficulties. Every single one of us. But what we can know is not the why, but the who will be with us. And why will he be with us? Because it's a promise, it's a vow, and he never breaks his word. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. And with that, I will close us with Luke 6, 36. Be therefore merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Let's bow in prayer. Dear, precious Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so very grateful. Grateful, yes, Lord God, grateful even for the trials we go through. We may not be grateful at those moments. We know the difficulties, no matter what kind of difficulties, no matter if it be financial or physical or emotional or mental or, or Lord God, it might be relationship-wise. Sometimes we go through such difficulties that sometimes it feels like we just can't get ourselves out of it. It's like we've fallen into a pit and we can't get out. But Lord, we know that you're with us. And if it weren't for the strength that you give us, Lord, I don't know that we could get out. But Lord, it's for the pity's sake that you get us out. And I pray, Lord God, 
that you will continue to strengthen us. That we'll be able to keep our eyes upon you. That we will turn our eyes upon you. That no matter what you're going through, our eyes will stay, stay on you continuously. And I pray, Lord God, if there be anyone here today who's going through such struggles that they don't know what to do, that this be a day that their eyes will stay on you and you alone. That you, Lord God, will guide them and lead them, Lord, to the answer that you have for them. That they will keep their eyes away from the enemy, from the adversary, and that their eyes will be on you and you alone. That you will take us through the storm, Lord God, knowing that you are on the other side. I pray all this in your holy, Lord God, your holy, precious name, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name.